have somehow pulled Pat Kareem away from heat checking his Robert Woods love on Twitter to talk about our best ball exposures. We're about halfway through the fantasy football draft season, heading into July, heading into training camp. So it's a perfect time to level set on our exposures in all of the best ball drafts we've done so far, our structures, specific players, stacks, week 17, everything. We're going to go through a quick overview of both Pat and myself's exposure today on Legendary Sickos. I apologize already, Pat, for calling you out on Robert Woods, but I just saw your tweet this morning and it cracked me up, um, particularly lots of really funny comments. Uh, your oh, own yeah. tweet was was very funny on on Robert Woods. And technically, that's kind of what the point of this show is, is, uh, you know, players that we like, structures that we like, stacks, teams, whatever that we like that are right. Who you like is who you're drafting. We can talk. We, we could do Twitter threads every single day about about a player. If you're not, you know, actually drafting that player, overweight that player or whatever. Do you actually really like them? So this show today will be a little more. Um, I don't want to say practical because I think they're all kind of practical and this is still a little bit theoretical, but you'll kind of see behind the scenes. And I have some crazy huge ownership on on players right now. And so I thought the Robert Woods point was kind of was kind of funny, but he is a player, um, you know, Sam Howell is a player that I like. Robert Woods is a player that you like that maybe I don't like as much. So we, you know, we have some differing um, opinions, but this is a fun part of the offseason before training camp gets here to like, I try to do this to myself because it's hard. You're drafting so many teams, you're just in the flow to be like, let me look at my exposures and make sure, you know, these are actually aligning with what I want to do this summer. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, the Robert Woods thing is funny. Um, you know, it's Twitter, so you know it's like one of these things where you're on Twitter long enough to be like, "There's no way I can caveat this enough to not get crushed." So let me just get crushed. And in the tweet, I'm like, "All right, here we go. I'm gonna get crushed for even hinting that he might be a good pick." And I sure did. I got crushed. But one caveat that's kind of funny, and I'm, you know, I recognize that underdogs not available in every state, and you know, people still want to play their fantasy football, but. You know, the character limits, the caveat I probably should have found a way to squeeze in there is this is a best ball take because I did get some like, you're never going to want to start him. I'm like, that's right. I want that is a and fact. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would never take him on a non best ball team. But, um, you know, so, yeah, that one was kind of funny. But I am I am drafting Robert Woods. I have quite a bit of him uh, kind of fits with like the the late round philosophy that I'm kind of leaning on a little bit more this year for early drafts, which is that, you know, I'm probably not going to be very good at deciphering this like true uncertainty, three-way coin flip type of backfield situations. And I just want to go to a guy who's got $10 million guaranteed. And, you know, everyone's saying like, well, he's the third guy in the target pecking order. Like, we don't know that, you know, we don't know anything. Right. So uncertain situation, completely free arbitrage on Adam Thielen, who I'm hard fading. So it's like, if there's a, if there's an old dusty guy who, actually is worth drafting this year maybe it's the guy i take in 18th instead of the guy everyone else is taking on the 12th it um, is kind of it is kind of funny with the woods um situation where 
look, I, I mean, I'm not some big Robert Woods fan. I don't draft him a ton, but it's it's actually not because I don't think he's in the discussion in the, as the as a late round wide receiver. I've drafted him a couple times. I think one of the most recent teams I posted to Twitter actually had Robert Woods as the last pick, and I didn't I didn't post it to uh, to talk about to Robert the Woods. People. He just happened to be on that team, and even I got a couple of tweets like it was really good until 18th round Robert Woods, you know, or whatever. And I'm like. Geez, even I can, like me, a very anti-old, anti-that type of a player, can see that like him in the 18th round seems, whether you like it or are neutral about it or whatever, it, it shouldn't be the reason that you think the team sucks is with Robert Woods on there. So I do think that is all funny, particularly with how we've seen the market chase up uh, an Adam Thielen. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins right. still goes in the like early fourth round of drafts. I'm not trying to compare Robert Woods to DeAndre Hopkins, but like that's an old player who's not on a team who we were hoping he was dropped in that ADP bucket because we were hoping the Chiefs or the Bills or someone like that were going to sign him. Now we have no idea. It's probably the Patriots or the Titans seem to be the most likely suitors, but I, you know, and so we're willing to do that. Last year, remember Julio signs with the Bucks and it's Let's throw a party because Julio just signed with the Bucks, and now let's take him in the ninth round. And then Robert Woods is like, no, you can't draft that guy. What do you mean? I think that that's kind of funny. Really quick before we start to dive in, though, because we do. Normally, we are not capped for time. If you've never listened before, go back and listen to some of the past episodes because uh, uh, I can definitely be long-winded. And we're also getting into fun conversations that can take a little time. Today, we are a little bit more hard-capped on on time. I do want to make sure I hit our promotion before the, you know, two and a half oh, hour. Wow, podcast. Look at this. Look at <laughs> that this. We, that I literally, I never write anything down. I literally wrote this down this time. And I'm putting a fucking sticky note right in front of my face when we record <laughs> so that I remember, I don't read this promotion two and a half hours into the show. If you subscribe, to Pat's Legendary Upside, we have a fun special promotion for you. Pat has a bunch of other goodies, so you're just getting all sorts of free stuff if you sign up for Pat's subscription, which is incredibly cheap. But if you're a best ball player, which obviously this show is geared towards best ball, Spike Week is the place bringing you a lot of the best ball tools. We actually put in an insane awesome update to our draft hacker overlays last night. We're not going to get into the draft hacker today. But if you're drafting in the weekly winners new format, which I'm sure Pat and I will discuss at some point this summer, uh, we put a really, really fun update into the overlays for weekly winners. It's ready to rock and roll for all things best ball mania, et cetera. And then today you're going to see our draft IQ product. I'll probably pull mine up. Maybe Pat will pull his up a time or two throughout the course of this. These are all the types of best ball tools on top of rankings and some other tools that you get with a Spike Week subscription. And if you are subscribed to Legendary Upside, you get 40% off. So if you want to subscribe for the whole NFL season, be able to see your teams during the season, be able to get playoff best ball content, in-season best ball content, you can subscribe through the whole season. We also have a monthly package, which is regular, $40 a month. You will get 40% off using promo code Leg Up. There's a promo code button you click when you go to check out. Just put Leg Up in there. You'll get your 40% off. And uh, you have to be a Legendary Upside subscriber. So don't, you know, if you're not, you're not going to get this, this uh, discount. Well, you can fix that by going to legendaryupside.com slash early. Uh, if you're not right, for your first year. Exactly. If you're not right now, you, you spend a very limited amount of money on Pat subscription and you get it all back if you're a best ball player and, and then some, you know, if you're a best ball player. So I do think biased, but it's a pretty 
uh, pretty sweet little promotion for folks uh, playing 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 best ball. I mean, fantasy football, subscribe to what Pat's doing anyway. But if you're playing best ball, I think uh, you'll find that the combination of the things Pat is bringing you alongside the tools can be very powerful. So really quickly, we're talking about player exposure, our portfolios, and, and some of that stuff. It's really easy to get into individual players or like, you know, should you draft an elite quarterback or whatever. But how we, the higher level that's hardest, I think, to implement is like, I want to do this with my portfolio, or I want to take a stand on this player, or I want to be about neutral on this player. And then you get in the drafts. They are snake drafts. You don't get to select every player that you want. And sometimes your portfolio doesn't look maybe necessarily like your plan. So what I wanted to bring up first was what kind of, has been your general plan of attack, whether you have got it how you exactly how you wanted in your exposures, what has been your kind of general plan of attack in terms of, you know, are there certain players that you're hammering? Are there certain structures that you're hammering? And then the inverse, are there certain things that you're avoiding at this point in time during the off season? Yeah. I mean, I've kind of been, so to me, it's sort of about the, the player pool is going to dictate the, the, uh, the plan of attack and, you know, like, with the with the point of like Woods or Thielen or or those guys right like the 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 reason that I'm like closed off to Thielen is because what I need out of a 12th round pick I think is different than what I need out of an 18th round pick like that's I think through things like that like it's it's not just like oh this player is overpriced it's like taking this player in this range I need them to be this type of hit or that's sort of what I feel like I'm betting on so I have a big stand against Najee Harris. And it's because I think that if I'm taking a running back in like the fourth round, third or fourth round, I still want them to be, you know, able to have like a really, really high end season. And Harris had a quite good rookie season, but he had an 85, 86% snap share that season. Uh, I don't think he has any real chance of getting there this year unless Jalen Warren gets hurt. So it's kind of a contingent bet, you know, he could certainly be a league winner. But to me, I'm like, what is that? If I need, I, if I need like probably, a, you know, and it could be like a multi-week hamstring pull for Warren in the playoffs and, and Harris crushes. So it doesn't have to be like a season ending thing because they'll have enough volume to kind of chug along and help you if you structure your team right. So, you know, if Harris was a fifth round pick, you know, if he was like Aaron Jones versus Harris, I would be a yeah. lot more interested. But there's, so it's just sort of like, what does this round sort of ask for and what does this player get? And then you can kind of cobble that all together and sort of see, okay, what can I get later in the draft? Right. So if it's like, you know, Travis Kelsey probably gives you what you need in the first round for that selection. But we're in a world where you can get Mark Andrews in the late third round or mid to late third round. You can sit there where you would take, Kelsey and feel confident that you can get Andrews two full rounds later. You can also skip Andrews and sit there and get Pitts three full rounds after that, right? Or, or Goddard, or and he he's even going in the seventh now. A lot of the time, he, yeah, his ADP is falling into the seventies. Kyle Pitts is, yeah. So you can you can play for a seventh round Pitts. I mean, as much as I like Kelsey, I'd rather have seventh round Pitts. As much as I like Mark Kittle Andrews, has, I'd rather have seventh round Pitts. Kittle's going in the 60s in most drafts now. So, he, like, you, I, I found that to be fascinating, too. I didn't have a plan. This is such a perfect 
like thought process. I had no plans coming into this year to be like, I'm going to be really light Travis Kelsey. Like it wasn't my plan. I mean, if you, if you said that to me, you're like, he's getting old. I'd like to just get, I'd like to cash in my Kelsey chips before it all falls apart. I would say totally fine. I, I totally respect that. And that thought has crossed my mind too, but it wasn't my intention. Travis Kelsey could, you want to talk about the guy who could most easily be the guy you need. It's probably Travis Kelsey. And so that's just generally not a guy I want to fade, but then you draft like you said, then I just start doing a bunch of drafts, which will show some of mine. I'm, you know, 200 plus drafts in on underdog. And I just keep finding every time I take Travis Kelsey, it's like, shit, I'm at pick 78 and Kyle Pitts is still here. I really wish I just would have yep. taken, you know, Tyree Kill or Stefan Diggs or whatever at that spot or St. George Kittle. Oh, God, pick 68. George Kittle fell all the way here. Darren Waller's here at pick Darren 90. Yeah. Right. It, it happens all the time. And so. It's not anything about Kelsey. It's all about the environment, like you said, and what can happen later in the draft. Yeah, and I think that that then creates like the kind of the like in some ways sort of structures that I want to or tactics, let's say, that I want to be overweight on. And one of those this year is definitely the elite tight ends. I think, you know, you want to be aware of what the overall market sentiment is on kind of structures and um you know i I just think that elite tight end represents a potentially massive edge this season we i think people don't really understand this format fully to be honest like we have three uncorrelated tournaments that you need to win madison parkhill did some interesting work on his uh site which you guys should check out i linked to it in my elite tight end piece on legendary upside um you can just check out his Substack as well. But he talks about how, yes, the odds of like, you know, George Kittle doing what he did last year um, aren't great for George Kittle specifically. You know, and George Kittle, what he did was he had a big week 15, really big week 16, uh, just absolutely powered teams to the week 17 final with those spike weeks. But because we have a, th- a three straight uncorrelated tournaments, and the elite tight ends capture a huge percentage of the spike weeks available at the tight end position, then the odds that some elite tight end, that one, I should say, that one elite tight end goes off during those uh, three those three uh, playoff weeks, at least once, is pretty good. It actually, it's like 80% or something was his calculation mm-hmm. that, that we get like at least one of those guys going off for at least one of the weeks. And when that happens, you know, might not happen, but if it, if it does, we do know that the nature of the position, because it's so low scoring, because many of the other elite, elite tight ends that we're going to be drafting are going to completely bust, then you're going to get a ton of leverage. And so the thing is about elite tight end is it doesn't feel very, it's, it's a strategy that doesn't like inherently feel good because when you're overweight, all the elite tight ends, what you're kind of doing is you're saying like, like many of my teams are going to suck because this tight end is going to bust, but the ones that don't suck are going to be like potentially awesome. And then Mm -hmm. there's teams that like don't suck, but just kind of like, yeah, they aren't the elite tight end. Isn't helping. You're going to feel like, I wish I spent that pick differently, but then that elite tight end happens to be the guy who goes off in the playoffs. So maybe you advance those at a slightly worse rate, but you have this huge leverage piece. And I think that's, you know, when you tell someone, hey, here's a strategy where it's going to probably hurt your advance rate, 
but you're going to get this uh, really in- impossible to predict spike week. Probably, <laughs> no one mm-hmm. wants to do it, but um, I, I just I just think it's a it's a really big edge right now. In in part because we've seen it play out now. We've seen it play out literally the last two years. Mark Andrews was an absolute must-have player. And George Kittle, second highest uh, finals advance rate behind uh, Justin Jefferson, if I recall correctly. So yep. you're, you know, it's it's a weird thing in fantasy football when something works this well and the market moves against it hard. And that's what's happening. I think they, that that part of it, that the market is like, Elite tight end is dead. It's Kelsey or no one. After a year in which Kittle was on the winning lineups across a number of different uh, sites, including drafters, including the season-long Correct. format. He was on Correct. that team, not Kelsey. So the market said, you can't draft Kittle. You can't draft Pitts. You can't draft Andrews. They're going like a round to two rounds lower than what we would have priced them at probably in 2020 or even maybe last year. And – I know I've talked about elite tight end before on this, but that that is one of the structures where if I look at like the overall macro landscape of what drafters, how drafters are in, interpreting information that we've gotten over the last couple of years and applying it to this year's player pool, I just think it's like a huge miss, you know, from <clears throat> on a macro level that we that we decided that elite tight end isn't isn't one of the most powerful levers you can pull. Now, does that mean I never punt? tight end and that I don't like punting tight end sometimes like I do I you know if you if you're a real big believer in three late round tight ends like I think that can work and I've done it myself you can't you like literally can't draft elite tight end on every team you, your portfolio would be whacked right but it, it is something that I want to really pr- like the more and you know I wrote this elite tight end article like a month ago or whatever and since then tight end prices have fallen further <laughs> so that's another thing with these exposures you always want to be checking in with yourself like did this I had this take. I've been ex- executing on this take. What has happened since? Like, has the market shifted mm-hmm. against me? Should I reconsider that? Maybe it was a good idea then, and now it's not. Right? You don't have. It doesn't mean you were wrong. You, although you certainly could have been. But you know, you <laughs> you can you know it, you can you don't have to like crush yourself for doing something before that you're now no longer going to do. You, you we want to be flexible and nimble and be pivoting when things change. But this is one of those things where I'm like, I'm also comfortable doubling down. Markets decided that, nope, not only is, you know, where we kind of out on elite tight end, uh, but we read Pat's piece and it sucked. We're not, we're not interested. <laughs> we're not, we're not taking elite tight Clearly, end. No that, what, really, that's that? what happened. There's that a very, happened. there's a very high correlation between you releasing that article and Cal <laughs> Pitts falling to the, you know, almost the eighth <laughs> round. The ADPs plummeted. I didn't <laughs> convince anyone. So it's like, all right, fine. Like, I told you what I'm going to do, and now I'm going to do it even more. <laughs> um, it's what what was ringing through my head when you kind of mentioned that part, because it's it's kind of one of the hardest parts about exposure. And we recently talked about the Chris Evans, Samaj AP, Ryan, uh, you know, conundrum of 2022, where everybody said, hmm, this backup seems really valuable, but no one, none of them are getting drafted, right? Joe Mixon getting old, pretty dusty. We amazing offense, particularly by the way, for running backs. Joe Burrow's, you know, affliction for checking down when like yeah. he, I love the way they run their offense for fantasy. That's why the Bengals are are so fun, right? It's like hmm, single coverage on Chase, 
I'm going to go to him. Like literally no matter what, it doesn't matter. I'm going to throw the, the, the fade to chase. Oh, mid play. The safety rolls over instant check down. Like, instant he makes one maybe two reads and then he's like fuck it check down get my four or five yards if it's more great if it's not it's a winning play right he plays like tom he plays like a younger modern day tom brady basically who can run a little bit so yeah. we established a little, hey, more fun. little just a smidge more fun uh also not from you know a boston team so we can all actually celebrate joe burrow instead of like yeah. kind of fucking hating ourselves because tom brady is a thing so samaj years just like Dude, he's so <laughs> handsome. That's all I want to talk about. How handsome that is. That does also piss me off, by the way. Like, God gave you everything. At least let you be just like average looking. You know what I mean? Like, this is how this is how I feel about Lewis Hamilton. I'm gonna the the qualifying for this F1 race is happening Actually, right Lewis now. Lewis Hamilton, likable though. My, that is the the great thing about Lewis. Lewis gets it all back because he is the most likable, kind-hearted, good person of all time. Brady, not that likable. But also Lewis Hamilton, like you're a supermodel looking dude. You're a billionaire and you're the best race car driver of all time. Like, fuck off, man. Like, leave something for the rest of us. That is really, like that is that is so unfair. You know, it just uh, life like we're talking about fantasy football and, and you know, grinding out some AJP Ryan versus Chris Evans. And, you know, some of these guys live other lives. But it reminded me of that. But different. You mentioned like you you get to this point right where you I believe I agree with you you'll see my exposure here in, in just a minute to elite elite tight ends because I do very much believe in like the the punt three late round tight end approach I've written about it in terms of some ways I'm particularly uniquely going about the late round tight end thing because I do think all tight ends have been pushed down uh, maybe not like for whatever reason we we latch on to the the tight end dead zone and those guys never move like Ingram and Njoku and and those guys like just stay around yeah. pick 100, no matter how far the elites. Uh, it is weird fall. actually. Yeah. Like you, you're never going to get Evan Ingram outside, you know, the top 100 or 105. He should probably go like 145, but, but like, I legit yes. think he should be like a 14th round, 15th round pick. Yeah. 14th round maybe. It's it, particularly with the pricing, right? If the elites are falling and, Hunter Henry and, you know, Michael Meyer and Luke Musgrave and like whatever, pick your favorite late round tight end du jour is all they're all going in the 18th. Why does he go in the ninth? <laughs> like, you know, it's just the, that that math doesn't doesn't. Yeah. Add up. I think but I hey, no, no, I think I took him once too. knowing that literally knowing that is like, I, again, it's like I didn't like necessarily set out to say I will never draft Evan Ingram. But when you plop him into the ninth round given all the rest that's going on about tight end like uh like i because i like the jags the jags offense looks great who the hell doesn't like the jags but i don't get many jags because the market has said these prices are this but the elite tight end thing was like we talked about p Ryan versus evans where both of us and a lot of people the beginning of last year we we saw the value in whoever was going to be the handcuff to joe mixon right who couldn't who couldn't see that we were wrong though like wildly wrong. <laughs> Chris Evans is probably not even an NFL football player. We were wrong. We tried to, we tried to project the new young guy to step into a bigger role, which is fine. I, I don't think that that's inherently wrong, but we were wrong in this situation. The veteran steady Samaj P Ryan was the guy and we adjusted. I actually do. I do think we were wrong. Like, I guess my, and we may be on slightly different pages here. So be curious for your pushback. If there is any, but like the, 
I think maybe we were a little wrong in terms of process last year at the Chris Evans thing because we're you're projecting a guy along with the rest of the market that you're you're taking a dude who's there's we're not sure that he's going to even have a job and he's getting universally drafted mm-hmm. and you're doing that during a part of the offseason where we don't really have any reason to feel that confident and so what you could do instead is tr- just try to hit a single with that pick and trust that your good teams from those early parts of the year are going to have big value hits, but probably like earlier on, like let's say, let's say Deontay Foreman has a horrific training camp and is basically like, he, you know, he tweaks his ankle. He's unsure if he's going to even be ready for week one. He didn't impress the coaches and Herbert just looks like it's his, it's his job to start the year. Herbert is not going to be like an 11th round pick anymore. You know, Herbert might be a seventh round pick, right? Something as simple as that, right? That's just one example, but we're going to get stuff like that. It's a chaotic sport. I think that you're going to tend to have your biggest value gains in spots like that, like where you're going to have a dude jump from the 13th round to the eighth or whatever. So those types of gains, you know, if I can almost protect those gains by taking uh, Michael Mayer, who's completely free now, as a third tight end, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'll take sometimes I've done stuff like I'll take Andrews, Laporta and Mayer, right? Like that's not necessarily a typical three tight end build when I have Andrews, but I'm like, I think Mayer's going to do something this year. I think he's, he's also gonna, and he's, he's, he's also a last round pick. He projects better than the wide receivers that go back there. You show me a wide receiver that technically has more right. The, the point of drafting the yeah. other positions running back might be a little different, but you run into the uncertainty. You run into different. the you run into. The upside of the running back is better, but you you run into a way more risk and uncertainty. Like the the odds you actually hit on that guy are so 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 low. Yeah. My but, but then you're comparing Meyer to, I don't know, Marvin Jones. You know, like like right. you, you, like do they have more upside in a week than him? Not necessarily. So I do think the market is a little different in terms of even what you mentioned uh, with that third tight end. Yeah, and I would say like if you want to dive into the uncertainty at running back. I'm not doing it so much right now, but like have some courage, you know, take Zamir White, take now we're talking uh, about. one of the Rams backs, mm-hmm. take the guys who aren't getting drafted would be what I would suggest where if you're just holding hands with the field being like, we know it's, you know, you know, this who's a good example of a guy that like we've just anointed this year, the Chris. Evans I mean, it was it, it was also on the Bengals and it was Chase Brown. It was Chase, yeah, Chase, Chase Brown. You're right. It's it's Bengals again. Yeah, Chase Brown. Bengals again. Yeah, we're just holding hands. It, it's Chase Brown. Chase Brown's the backup we need. We don't know that. In fact, we have evidence to the contrary that it's uh, that it might in fact be Travion Williams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you do have Mixon getting cut, but they've also talked about they're going to be a candidate to sign someone, even if the Mixon doesn't take the pay cut and gets cut. They're probably a Dalvin Cook or Leonard Fournette or Zeke destination. So oh, I don't they're know licking that... their chops right now with all these running backs still available and Dalvin still available because it's a, a win-win situation for them. Everything's fine with Mixon. They get him at the cost they want. He's not suspended, and they're good. They can still sign one of those guys to pair with Mixon. Or, worst-case scenario, right, it goes bad with Mixon. Insert Dalvin Cook. Who gives a shit? What's the difference? Yeah. So I think, I mean, if you want to hit a home run, <laughs> right, it would be having one of these guys who – now, keep in mind, I'm not really doing this, but I just think if you're are if you are going to go with the let's wait into the uncertainty, at least wait into uncertainty that would give you leverage on other early drafters 
You know, it's like I, I got these values and I have this random running back who no one else was taking at this time, who if he goes off, he's going to give me a huge edge, not just on later drafters, but the drafters who I'm drafting with currently. Like it's just going to be a super unique team that you have with, I, with one of those guys. I totally agree. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, have, I have no pushback on that. I think what I what I mostly meant was just if we set aside Chris Evans and we set aside the market is pushing this player up when it probably may, may not make sense. We set aside that situation. Inherently, it is understandable to say there's this kind of dusty veteran who's older. It's the beginning, beginning of the off yeah. season. I'll take my shot on the young guy stepping up. Sure, right. Sure, sure. Um, it's okay. I think that's okay. Right. Uh, so if you did this, if you combine these two things, you would have found Eli Mitchell <laughs> two years ago. Sure, if you did yeah. these. If you combine these two things, you said Mostert, Jeff Wilson. I mean, Trey Sermon. Like, I don't know. This Eli Mitchell dude was pretty good in college, and he wasn't like a. He wasn't a UDFA. Sixth round pick, yeah. I think. Yeah. So you're like, mm, maybe I'll. He's and then you say, well, Pat said. Also, if I'm going to do that, maybe I take the undrafted guy. So you would be combined. So like that, that would, would be, be like that. you combine those things. But most of the time. This is where it really goes wrong with something like Chris Evans, in my opinion, is most of the time we can we can do that song and dance about the young guy. God knows I love to. I don't like the olds and all that kind of stuff. NFL, particularly at like backup running back, your bet is almost always going to hit on the veteran, not because he's better, not because that young back may never become something, but because NFL teams have this trust relationship with the running back position because the running back position's job particularly the backup is to not fuck it up yeah, and not get your quarterback and not get your quarterback killed you they don't have you on the roster thinking you're the next Adrian Peterson they have you on the roster because you're not going to screw stuff up yeah. and when the young guy comes in most of the time he screws stuff up in pass pro right a executing pass pro b knowing protections right knowing option routes and different a lot of these guys don't do have never done this stuff you know what i mean like we'll talk about uh some guys over the course of the summer probably i know you, you like Dwayne mcbride Dwayne mcbride has probably never done any of these things when he shows up to training camp that he's going to be asked to do in high school they just take the ball and run because they're the best player on the team right they probably play middle linebacker and running back and on offense that what did it turn around and hand it to Dwayne because <laughs> he's yep. the best player in the state you know, yep. so we hand it to him and then they go to college. Especially true for Dwayne. Dwayne yeah. is not a pass catcher. And they, so he goes to college and guess what? This dude's really good at taking the ball and running with it, but he can't catch and he's not very smart. You know, I'm not, I, Dwayne could be really smart. I'm just saying a lot of times, right? You, you just hand him the ball. You show up to NFL camp and they're like <laughs> reading these absurd long, you know, play names and you got to right. know what to do. So anyway, I think that's where we failed with Chris Evans was we got a little out over our skis on hoping for the next young guy when really the actual most likely bet was P Ryan all along. And then we did what you did, what you just outlined. Then we chased the guy up the board with everybody's drafting him. And there's just this P Ryan guy sitting back in the last round, getting drafted 5% of the time that we could have taken. That was an absolute, that wasn't even a single. We saw he was a fucking home run last year. Yeah, if you, if run. you drafted him. So, yeah. um, go ahead. It, it, that's one thing with my exposures that I want to be like, if I end up having, a gross amount of, you know, Tim Patrick. Uh, I started. I've started mixing in Devontae Parker now post the contract sign. Even though, even though Hopkins might be there because we know he's not getting cut. 
you know, that was a concern with the Hopkins thing too. It's like, well, Parker might get cut. So I've started mixing him in. Um, Robert Woods. I don't really draft Marvin Jones. Uh, there's another gross veteran that I do draft though. Um, well, take Josh Reynolds. Don't take Marvin Jones. At least Josh yeah. Reynolds has like a smidge of juice. <laughs> yeah. Plus, like he's gonna definitely lose his role at the end of the season. So what's the point? Oh, the Giants I, guys. I take Slayton. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You yep. know, um, all the Giants take, are there. All, all the, the Giants, Giants are back there. there. Yeah. So you just like yeah, you can get Paris Campbell though. He's kind of steamed up. Um, but like, like I'll two, take two. My, I've been taking a lot of two oh, two. I, I take two two two. Yeah. So I like those gross veterans, right? I'm going to be overweight that group right now, you know, in this part of the off season. And mm-hmm. I think that's one thing to consider with your exposures too, is like, it's okay to take stands that you're not even going to have on a summer wide portfolio, right? Like what are you doing in this part of the off season? Like one thing that I've decided this year is that I want to be, I want to take this approach where, you know, I'm playing to the early uh, the early drafts like I laid out where I don't necessarily want to go my 18th round pick. I'm swinging for the fences because I think I've been sort of convinced that, you know, reading the best ball manifesto, Mike Leone's article, like those dead roster spots really hurt and we're, and we're more likely to get, get those dead roster spots this time of year. So, you know, saying I'm going to take this guy is going to be a home run for me. He might be a strikeout and those strikeouts really hurt. So I, I don't mm-hmm. want, I don't want to be like, you know, a portfolio that's full of holes in these early drafts is kind of the way I'm thinking through it. Now, maybe that's just wrong. Maybe, and I'll be kind of curious how this plays out because it might be the case that, in fact, that's just a fact of life when you draft in June and that what you really should be doing is swinging for the fences and trying to get as as many of those amazing teams as you can. And I'm going to have this like just weak portfolio of early teams that doesn't have enough. Um, Although, now I'm just arguing with myself, but I do one thing I will say <laughs> I is I do that. I think I do that every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing I will say is that like a safe pick can be Josh Downs. Correct. You know, like Josh Downs <clears throat> in the 18th round is a safe pick in the way I'm thinking through things because I'm trying to hit singles for the fantasy playoffs. So I'm trying to I'm guys who are going to make the roster, guys who look like they have a role right away. Rookies are going to come on at the end of the season. They're going to be more mm-hmm. likely to be producing in the playoffs than earlier. So I'm not just like literally just taking only gross vets. I'm going to be strongly overweight veteran wide receivers who have some draft capital behind them, who I think have a role right away. Like that, that group, I also want to be like way overweight on, especially if they're starting to slide in drafts. Wasn't taking much Jalen Hyatt starting to scoop up some Jalen Hyatt. Now, you know, I'm heavy, heavy. on. My God, he fell by the way, the Hyatt fall. I I think it's gone too far. I agree. He should have fallen. He was going way too high. He's going to be in the 200 soon. And I'm like, I know okay, that's it's a exciting. little, it's a little aggressive. And, yeah. And that's like, that's a pretty, you know, it's a high upside, but also a safe pick. If you think about, yeah, he's not getting you know, cut, he's not getting cut. And he, you know, what does he have to do to have a role by week 15? Like maybe not that much. So those are the types of plays that I want to be overweight on this time of year. At the end of the season, I want to flip aggressively. And this is the thing I really want to focus on. I didn't do this nearly enough last year. Those P Ryan's, those Justin Jacksons from two years ago, we get the we mm-hmm. get the word. This is the guy. This is the guy. He's he's definitely, you know, or or very likely the clear number two. Um, you know, Jalen Warren was a guy last year. Didn't really hit last year, even though he we were correct in that he was the clear number two. Didn't do a ton for you, mm-hmm. but that type of play, the Jalen Warren, the UDFA who emerges as the running back two. We have strong evidence that 
he is in fact the running back two. preseason usage backs it up all the beat writers are saying this guy's locked in you know that guy hasn't been drafted early on and so especially with a portfolio that sort of sat out those types of backfields i'm going to be really aggressive and like chasing mm-hmm. dudes up into the 13th round of not going to bother me because i'm going to get leverage on all of these other drafters who you know were drafting benny snell or you know i'm talking about yeah. talking about last year not this year yeah you know benny snell or anthony mcfarland and i'm going to have all the warren um because they were just wrong about who the backup was yeah i i love that that's one of my favorite points that i think inherently we probably were like yeah you know um we now know this guy and he may, maybe even uh, uh, you know the same people that will dunk on you for tweeting about Robert Woods would dunk on us for tweeting something like, like this conversation that we're having. Like, yeah, dumbass, this is why you wait till August so that you can then get you know those guys. Um, but I do think there's a psychological effect, which we talk. I think we a little bit talked about before, where you're like, especially if you drafted Chris Evans, to be like, shit, <laughs> I just drafted 25 Chris Evans teams. And then, and then you really want to get sick. You start doing the math. You're like, God damn it. How much money is that? You know, like now I just threw that in the toilet and, and then admitting you're wrong, admitting those teams. That's the part though. You you don't do that. A lot of people don't do that. Include myself included, right? You, your brain protects you from that. Your brain, like literally that's like what biases are, right? They're like literally just Mm -hmm. defense mechanisms. Your brain's like, no, 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 it's Evans. It's Evans, dude. Like you'll you'll reject information that's P Ryan. You'll argue with people who tell you that it's P Ryan. I did this. Gretch was telling me like probably two weeks before I realized it was P Ryan, that it was P Ryan. And I was like, Gretch hasn't paying attention. It's Evans. He's not yeah. drafting up. You, teams. you he haven't even know. drafted. Let me sit yeah. this one out. Are you even drafting bro? Yeah. Uh, and he was right. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen because I didn't want to, you know, admit that like I'd been drafting the wrong guy all summer. That's mm-hmm. like, you're not going to be open-minded when you have a hard, a hard stance on a dude. And I just want to, it's not like that I'm going to be open-minded. I just want that, like that feeling that's going to kick in of like, no, 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 it's no, this is wrong. This is, this information is bad. I want to fight that as hard as humanly possible. We got this, by the way, you and I got this and we both ignored it on Antonio Gibson two years ago. Oh yeah, absolutely. JD McKissick was playing the third down. We both, we, we rationalized, oh, it doesn't matter. It's the preseason. It doesn't matter. JD McKissick played all the third down snaps. It mm-hmm. didn't matter. He was a third down back all season. It torched Gibson's upside. We're going to get information like that. Instead of fighting it, we should pivot hard to the opposite. Because especially if the other guy hadn't been drafted, that's the that's the biggest yeah. thing. It's like if the other guy hadn't been drafted or right, if it were Jonathan case, Williams at the time, if Jonathan Williams was out there on third downs and we were like, oh, shit, this is crazy. Like now he's the he's a straight he's he's. What Jalen Warren is right now to Najee Harris is what Jonathan Williams would have been, yeah. right? Like total hundred percent handcuff, and he's getting some passing down work. It was McKissick. So I think part of why that happened was because of a bias against McKissick. Yeah. And so we were just like, he can take that. He can take that, which was total like arrogance and bias. But when it's when it's someone that you can then see the upside in themselves, like right, Jalen right, Warren, right. it's easier to be like, Okay, yeah, maybe it's just Warren, right? Instead of Najee, as opposed to Gibson versus McKissick. I think I I definitely just anchored so hard. And I think McKissick was a part of that reason as well. 
For sure, yeah, because what in that case the pivot was just to probably start fading Gibson at, mm-hmm. unless his price dropped, which doesn't right. feel fun. Favorite guy, all you know, drafting a ton of this guy, drafting a ton of this guy, and now I'm just going to stop taking him because of some third down preseason information. Like, get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. I, this, I, I, my, my theory is not based on preseason data. You know, it's based on this. You know, upside, legendary upside, pitching, legendary yeah, upside he, is college profile, efficiency, all this, but. You know, if you did just do that, you would have ended up with a lot more Jonathan Taylor in 2021. Yep. If you just were like, at, at cost, I'm going to start taking Taylor a little bit more than Gibson. And and if Gibson falls to the late second, you know, in that case, you would have ended up with Gibson instead of CEH. So who cares? You know, but if, but at cost. <laughs> so that's another thing I want to because there's guys I have big stands on right now. Brees Hall would be a, a big example. I've got a massive stand on Brees Hall now. If we see that, you know, Brees Hall, the reports start to get a lot more shaky about the ACL, you know, certainly if they signed Dalvin Cook, then that would come with a big, um, but let's say like Izzy just starts getting talked up and talked up and talked up Mm -hmm. and the reports on Hall are fine, but it's like, he'll probably miss some time. I do think, I just want to be able to be like kind of check in with myself and be like, you you made your bet with the information that you had at the time, but given this new information, as bad as it feels, maybe let's cool out. Maybe let's <laughs> chill out a little bit on Brees Hall now. You know, if that happens, it's going to be really difficult for me to actually do that. But I just want to do a better job of that because it's one of those things that's definitely burned me in the past of just doubling down when I shouldn't double down. I'm willing to double down if the market hands me a double down opportunity. In right. Fact, in fact, I Kyle want Pitts to do falls that. around it. Kyle Pitts falls it around in half only because of the market. Going back to our very kind of one of the original points conversations. Solely because the market has said fuck tight ends. Has yeah. nothing to do with Kyle Pitts, nothing to do with news, nothing to do with his situation, nothing. It is the market has decided tight ends are less valuable. We have, I don't know if that's right. We have evidence to believe the contrary, right? So I'm willing to just say they're wrong here. I'm going to bet against it. This is, like you said, this is Antonio Gibson, JD McKissick. This is JK Dobbins last year, where we're like, Maybe he'll be healthy. Maybe it, it, it doesn't seem great for Dobbins, particularly last year. Doesn't seem great, but maybe we'll be healthy. I'll buy him in the fifth, you know, because this is a spot. I, I'm, you know, I'm zero RB. He's a great anchor running back if he's healthy on a zero RB team. Well, we get to August or whatever, and the guy's dragging his leg around the practice field. It's yeah, like, yeah. Probably a good time to be like, mm, you know, okay, those fifth round JK Dobbins teams are probably not great, you know, and that's okay. That's okay. You were operating on a bet at the time, just like you're doing with Brees Hall. If Bree, if we get to camp and Brees is healthy, you think you're going to love those third round teams because he he's jumping Jacobs and he's jumping Ramondre and he's jumping Derrick Henry and whatever because everybody's so excited about the Jets and this young player. If they're like, oh yeah, Brees is ready to roll, hundred percent week one, he's going to be second round pick, and so you're going to love your Brees st- Brees stand, but you. To make it and win bets like that, you have to be willing to do what you just said. You have to be willing to say, I made the bet. It missed. Right. I got to back What's off What's my now. edge today? This is yes. best ball. You don't yes. have to manage those teams. You know, okay, you drafted a guy, you know, Brees Hall. And they're not dead. Book. It's not over. They're not dead. Yeah. yeah he's not. He, he, didn't, he didn't pull a Will Fuller. He's just not right. going to be great week one. You can still win the tournament with Brees. Right. Yeah, Brees is so tough in this example because like they either sign Dalvin Cook and he's like a fifth rounder or they don't. And I think he'll creep up. But like, mm-hmm. let's just say they don't 
and um, but the but the injury stuff starts to look like shakier and shakier. Or he has, right. like, you know, it's like maybe, yeah, I don't know. But let, let yeah, well, let's just stick with the breeze one. But it's like, you know, those types of guys. If you end up uh, feeling like a little shakier on the bet, just try to forget about the teams you've already drafted because you don't have to manage them. It's it's best ball. They they will manage themselves. You don't have to think about them again. If one bubbles up to the top, it will have nothing to do with your thoughts about it from you know the time you drafted it until the time it bubbles up and and makes a final for you. So, what is your edge when you're drafting today? And I think like if you think about it from you know the Gibson example, like the edge as soon as you get that preseason information about McKissick as a Gibson bull. Prior to that information, your edge can still be flipping to Taylor and maybe pivoting to Taylor hard and maybe saying, you know what, my overall portfolio, I'm going to make sure that is a bit even on. It's not even on these players right now. I'm going to make sure I'm, in fact, overweight Taylor. I did do this last year in one case, which was a difficult case for me to do it because it was on Ronald Jones. So (laughs) I was drafting a ton of Ronald Jones early in like the 10th, 11th round. Um, Cause you know, he's on the chiefs dude. He's going to smash. Yep. And um, it was even before the Pacheco stuff really got off, but I was like, you know, I'm drafting this guy at the exclusion of other players who I like. And Rashad white was a guy I was really excited about, you know, passing down specialist, um, you know, bigger can, can kind of get used on early down some as well. Doesn't just have to take third downs and all that Tom Brady, dump off galore really excited about that profile kind of didn't it's sort of like one of those ones that didn't really hit or miss yeah. um but i wanted to be very overweight white i just thought the you know if it, if it hits it could hit really big Fournette ended mm-hmm. up staying healthy all year so didn't quite get there uh but i was like i don't have nearly enough white i'm i'm i don't even like this stand that i make <laughs> you know and so i pivoted really hard uh, away from Rojo and, and towards White and some other – it wasn't just White. There's some other running backs in that range that I liked. So I think um, if you find your portfolio not looking the way you want, it's fine, I think, to kind of to pivot hard and be aggressive going forward, especially if you're like, going forward, I think my edge is X, and I'm going to press that edge, even if that edge runs counter to something you thought yesterday. That – that <clears throat> – we could probably just put that on a YouTube short, you know, the, what is your edge right now? What is your edge today? Because it, it applies to like everything that we've really talked about here. And probably, I mean, most things that you could talk about from a best ball strategy perspective, but think about the Bengals backfield thing in, in reference to the, what is your edge today? The Bengals don't know who the backup running back is going to be. They're going to wait for training camp. Travion, because he's the veteran, this is how shit goes, right? At all levels of football. The incumbent, veteran, older person gets the first crack, right? If you ever played high school football, there's some sophomore who is a stud. He probably doesn't start week one at middle linebacker because you got a senior who's busted his ass for four years, right? And he gets the start. He may get benched in the first game. He may get benched by week three or whatever. The, The talent may rise to the top. But it's got to, the young talent has to prove itself to usurp the older veteran. Chris Evans couldn't do that with Samaj Perine. He couldn't come close, quite frankly. 
maybe Chase Brown will do that with Travion Williams. Travion Williams is probably not as good as Samaj P. Ryan. Travion Williams may not be an NFL running back. But Chase Brown's going to have to prove it. So I don't know how you can come in and say, Chase Brown is my edge right now. It doesn't mean never draft Chase Brown. If, you know, times where his profile might make sense at the end of a draft. I don't know. You know, you, you need some home run swing at running back. You think he's a better home run swing than Travion or other late running backs, whatever. I don't even really care to argue that because that's very, that's its own long um, conversation. But I don't know how anyone can say, what is your edge today? It's Chase Brown, right? No, it's not. Because if you had, if you had really strong conviction that Mixon was going to get cut, maybe. Yeah. But, but like that's just your gut strong conviction. There is, in my opinion, no true evidence to say, like, is it possible? Absolutely. And if you wanted to say, so if you wanted to say, be like, there's a, there's right. Let's run the math. X percent that Mixon gets cut. X percent that Mixon, you know, gets hurt because he's old. X percent that Mixon is stone dust, which he, <laughs> he might be. And then. We X percent that Travion and Williams are and, and Evans are terrible, which they probably are. So, right, he makes this, but like, even then, you're like, is that your biggest edge? Right, your biggest right now, yeah. you know, I, I certainly don't think so. I have mine. Me and you both have things that we think are our biggest edge from a player perspective, and they're they're different. But one one that uh, I love is is generally more. God, every time someone calls me at this time, but apparently between 10 and 11 a.m. Central time is uh, the spammer bots uh, phone call, phone call times. But um, <laughs> but I think when people talk about like structural things, they talk about it in like the uh, the old let the draft fall to you type of a situation where I, you know, the draft gave me CMC and Bijan to start, which I mean, that would be fun. But like. Now I'm going to build a good structure around that, which is totally fine. But I also think there are structural edges at any given point during the course of the off season that don't relate to like, how is this draft going for you? Right. For sure. Can, yeah. This time of year might be better for, I'm not saying it is this time of year might be better for zero running back. This time of year might be better for a robust running back. This time of year might be better for elite quarterback. I actually think this time of year is worse for elite quarterback. Me as too example i'm hammering lots of those mid to late so as a i'll just i'll just pull it up because i, I can use it to uh although i have i according to spike week i'm very heavy on elite quarterback which doesn't feel right to me i maybe we, it's the definition it's we moved it take a lot to, of fields and stuff yeah so fields it's through herbert or lawrence um uh, we tweaked it a little bit this year because we're trying to get a certain buck bucket of those quarter it's going to be a little bit different each year basically is what i'm saying in terms of the elite quarterback it's either through herbert or lawrence is counting your elite quarterback so it's so you see mine is a little bit higher too so this is all my tournaments um including the, the super flex best ball mania right puppies poodles everything there's 204 teams in here is it not through richardson because that might be what <laughs> it uh it could be it um I don't know. It's through I, Richardson, I to, that would explain. I should a lot. know it off the top of my head, but it's been a long time since we redefined it. So um, I will come up with that answer. But so you, you kind of see, I'm basically like splitting the middle between elite quarterback and late round quarterback. Thirty seven percent versus twenty seven percent, close enough. Elite tight end, however, <laughs> despite the fact that I wrote an article, I did a video on this fun new strategy that I do really like. That's kind of combining a, a late round quarterback and late round tight end. I actually think. The biggest edge is what you said with elite tight ends. 
not any one of them in particular. Like you go to my players over here and see like total player exposure. You're obviously not, you know, you're seeing uh, Sam Howell and Damian Harris or, and, and pe- really I would say that these, maybe these four, if we include Rashad Bateman are my players that I think specifically are my edge right now beyond them. The guys who have high exposure are just like the guys who happen to <laughs> be there in my drafts. It's not really intentional or planned. But you notice there's not an elite tight end that shows up. I'll keep scrolling. Andrews. I have 20% Mark Andrews. So he's the first elite tight end that you get to. But like my biggest player take stand is Damian Harris. But elite tight end as a strategy is my, in, in my opinion, my biggest edge. And it actually isn't very much Travis Kelsey. It's Andrews, Pitts, Kittle, Hawkinson, right? Waller, Goddard, or whatever. Like I'm just spraying I'm all those guys. He goes first among those groups that that group much, but i actually don't know how much hawk. so i have seven um, percent hawk so uh you know not anything crazy it's definitely pits at 18 andrews at 20 and then kittle's probably similar kittle at eight so um i yeah. didn't even know that i'm learning this a lot so i'm pits is we'll 18 leave. andrews at 13 i'm actually like kelsey as we talked about i don't know i'm nine overall but i i this is yeah. so this is one of the things that jumps out like I haven't, so I'm nine percent Kelsey, but I haven't drafted him in BBM at all. Oh, really? Had, had no idea. Had no idea. But that's because I'm not avoiding him. I'm I'm slightly overweight the field on Kelsey, which just just so happens that on 45 BBM teams I haven't taken him. So that's like one thing I think bouncing stuff out of, on the tournaments to some degree, like just knowing like I don't have any Kelsey BBM shares. That's weird. Um is a player I'm not fading. It just happens to have fallen that way. Now I've gotten a lot of, of one one I have 20% Justin Jefferson in oh, wow. BBM. I have 4%. Uh, and just, you just made me curious to go look at my, at my BBMs. I have 4% Jefferson and uh, I've drafted two Travis Kelsey teams out of 45 BBM. Yeah. I don't have, I don't have any. Look at this. There's my, you, Where, you there you go. Okay. So you're getting I, the one Oh two. I'm, I'm getting the one Oh two all the time. I have seven percent Jamar Chase. So I'm and a, cup, yeah, I mean, cup and Chase are my. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm big cup, cup. and Chase. Sixteen percent cup. I'm taking cup a lot. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think that's one thing you can kind of dive into as well that I, I like doing. Uh, and yeah, it's like sometimes you find stuff where you're like, why? How can that even be? Like I'm not fading Kelsey like that, but I right, you know. That's so interesting. So I am going to pull up my, so when I go to Travis Kelsey, this is what I love to start uh, really digging into is what you just said. And I think it's hard and I think it's time consuming and you can't cover every single base of like every nook and cranny of your, of your portfolio. That's also why we give you this tool so that you can do some how do you find out I don't have any Travis Kelsey in, in BBM, right? Well, you just are kind of playing around. You're like, well, I got 55% or, elite tight end. Go ahead. The way I found is I went to the drafts tab. And oh, I went, and you just, yeah. Not exposure, you, but drafts. And I just scrolled down because I, I like how you guys have this. It shows that your average ADP, that's one thing I was looking at across all my tournaments. I was like, yep. a lot of green here. I'm getting good prices. Jonathan Taylor, right, I've reached on. One. Adams, I've reached on. Chase, I've gotten just at ADP. I've never gotten a a value on him, but um, same outside right. of the, let's see, Patrick Mahomes and Jalen hurts. I've reached on cause I took some of them when they were in the second, but outside of those 
five players. Oh no, AJ Brown have reached on too. So six players uh, in the top twenty-four. The only players who I haven't been getting on average with an ADP discount. So you know, overall, I like seeing that. <laughs> you can see I'm reaching on Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is one of my uh, favorite second-round picks. So I've been. This is another thing. I'm identifying some guys I prefer a little bit more in the second round or not even necessarily prefer a little bit more. You It's reasonably flat. I don't draft a ton of Devante. I haven't drafted a ton of Eckler. Outside of those guys, right, it's just kind of whatever the, the room is kind of giving me. But I am, so like with Chubb, I'm mixing and matching a little bit. I'll take Chubb at the 109 and then try to get him with JT or something mm -hmm. like that because th their ADPs are literally right next to each other. And I don't personally see that big of a difference between those guys and kind of everybody that goes in that range. So that runs me into this. But like like you said, you can see some of these things start to pop out when you're like, hmm, bad value on Chubb. I wonder what those Chubb teams, why? Why is that, right? Then I can go, you can go over to your lineups and literally see the physical lineups, or you can go over to Exposure and type in Nick Chubb and see, hmm, what do my Nick, Ch Nick Chubb teams look like? But I'll find myself just kind of like, like you said, like br just browsing. Right. I'm just like, you yeah. know, it's like a, I got a, I got a new magazine. I don't really give a shit. Right. I got East Bay. I'm like, I'm not actually going to buy anything from this East Bay, but like they got tons <laughs> of cool shit in here. You know, all these basketball shoes and all these clothes and stuff like that. They've yeah. got, I'm never going to, at the top, gonna... at the top, you can change which tournament you're browsing. Exactly. You can do all, right. you can do, you can do Best Ball Mania. Yeah. And we're adding in weekly winners. Uh, there's a lot of changes that weekly winners, you for anyone that didn't see a new contest on underdog that's a completely different format so lots of all this kind of stuff has has to change but um i did i did want to add we talked kind of about this already but sort of uh i i laugh every time i say like to wrap up or to close now mm -hmm. because uh we had the one episode where i got made fun of relentlessly for saying it about seven times and continuing to talk for two hours but is there anything right now that you think you um, you know, are way underweight on that you want to, we talked about like elite tight end, you're going to keep hammering, right? But is there anything that maybe you haven't been doing or something you've discovered in terms of your exposure that you're trying to change, right? Just like what's something on either end of the spectrum? I'm going to keep hammering it. I'm going to back off, right? I'm going to back off this thing I've been doing now, or I want to recover, right? Like Travis Kelsey, you're like, I don't have any BBM teams of Travis Kelsey. That's not the plan. Um, and just kind of anything of those that uh, jump out to you. Yeah, there's some like stands that I don't really that, that I didn't really like intend to make that I'm finding that I have been making. Like I'm really light. I'm pretty light CD Lamb, especially in Best Ball Mania. Uh, didn't realize that. Um, and so you know, I, I don't I don't love CD Lamb this year at cost and just you know Dallas is going to run probably a lot fewer plays and. <laughs> There's more target competition. I'm not sure Lamb's like truly an elite wide receiver. He's very good, but it, you know, so I, I don't have the biggest, you know, the most optimism for Lamb, but I don't want to be like taking a huge stand against him. So to me, like I'm 45 drafts in Best Ball Mania, it's sort of time for me to just like go through and see, like, you know, I don't have much Nick Chubb actually. Uh, that's one where I, I tend to break the tie to Jonathan Taylor, you know. Jonathan Taylor was uh, the 101 or 102 last year. Mm -hmm. And as much as we've liked Nick Chubb for a long time, and as good as he is at running the ball, he's never been drafted like that. 
We've never Correct. thought that Nick Chubb could actually deliver a legendary season. Jonathan Taylor basically has in 2021, you know, he through the first 17 weeks, you know, hit the, hit that mark in in PPR. And so I I do want to be overweight Taylor, but it's like one of those things where I'm like I'm doing this. The market doesn't seem to be cooperating here. They keep handing me Taylor and taking Chubb. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to mix in some Chubb because to mm-hmm. me personally, to me, like Taylor over Chubb is an easy click. I don't, but I do see that Chubb Chubb isn't like a to- He's not Ronald Jones in the passing game, right? Like if you just he he's more like I think he's pretty. I think he's solid. Like he, you he's know, solid. He's not Christian McCaffrey, but he, he yeah, it's kind of like JT, fine. really. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. He would, they can do just, it, and then once it's it's one of those things. They're not gonna you know run CMC routes or whatever. No, but but they're Screams. capable. Right, they're capable, and they they actually can catch the ball. And then the real power is once that ball is in their hand, those two dudes' hands in the open field, that is corners yeah. tackling JT and Nick Chubb in the open field. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Right. Yeah, and like you know, Chubb is I believe twenty seven years old, um, and Jonathan Taylor is twenty four years old. And so, if you're looking at a guy with sort of similar. Um, Somewhat similar profiles, very similar draft costs. Yeah, Chubb turns 28 in uh, December, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just have, like, less confidence in Chubb doing it. But it's going to be binary. Chubb's either going to be Chubb or he won't. And so I don't want to be out. So right now it's, like, trying to dial in stuff. I got to go pick up a package. I'll be right back. Yep. And I totally agree with all that. I've I, I found that it's funny because I recently just – found this what pat was talking about but was the opposite for me because i am uh really big on chubb but i'm also really big on jt on jt and it was that weird thing where i was just default when i was thinking about doing something different like i mentioned i'm just gonna pull chubb up to the 110 and, and see if i can get him with saquon or or even at a, a once once upon a time eckler or Bijan or jt or pollard or whatever when i was doing that i was always doing it with chubb even though i should have been doing it with both chubb and jt because i like them both a ton i think they're side by side in my rankings so that has led to 16 percent chubb for me and this is just in bbm now and then what did i say nine percent nine percent jt and so if it were up to me and i were setting a perfect portfolio i would say I think I probably have about about the same of both of these, maybe slightly one of the other. Maybe I, I kind of want to get both of them on the same team. Like, uh, you know, they go right next to each other in ADP. So they're like never on the same team. So I want to try to force that. But I have found so far through this drafts, I've, I've skewed towards Chubb. And that mm. even though I really like Chubb, that wasn't my intent. It wasn't my intent when I set out to do this. It's really I like both of these guys. I want to have both of them. Yeah, like best ball drafts are fun, right? So I'm I'm not like I tend to draft more from my phone than my desktop. Um and that's going to be a little bit more vibes based in my approach, you know? <laughs> yep. I'm I'm like I'm breaking ties this way, you know, the I have these players like pretty even, you know, these are two random players, these two hypothetical players. I lean 60/40 towards player A. Uh, let me go check my exposures. I'm 90 10. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's oh, going to yeah. happen all the time. And I, I don't know, maybe like, maybe you would find yourself better at, at dealing with this. You know, I think we'll all probably 
uh, have our, our strengths and weaknesses in, in, in various drafting things. And one of my weaknesses, I would say, is not having a great intuitive feel for where I actually am mm. in terms of my exposures because I tend to break ties harder to the guy I like than I than I would if you just sat me down and said we're gonna we're gonna like auto draft your whole portfolio but you get to tell us you know the and the, all these structures so you just pencil in the the percentage that you want of each guy you know and then we'll and then we'll we'll send you back some teams right <laughs> um my actual portfolio it's a struggle to get it to look like what that would look like uh because I just mm-hmm. tend to I tend to be more overweight the guys I like I tend to when I'm in the draft I tend to be like I like this team. So I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it with the wrong guy. So I'm going to take, I know that's the hardest part is that I think we all know that managing your portfolio is incredibly important. Some could make the case. All the shit is important. Some could make the case. It may be the most important part of all of this is like, right. Think about it from a DFS perspective. I know this is not, it's not perfect apples to apples, but when you go into a DFS, uh, you know, slate on a Sunday morning, right? You're playing, you're playing 150 teams into the Millie maker on, on DraftKings, And what matters is your set of 150 lineups. Of course they need to be made up with 150, you know, theoretically plus EV lineups make up that 150. So it goes from a lineup up to your portfolio, but there's a portfolio approach to the lineups. You want to play your 150 best lineups, but the best lineups are determined by the, you know, expected value of each lineup, in its in its uh, singularly so like you're not just going to have i mean everybody has different approaches but you're not just going to have 100 of this guy 98 of this guy right 95 percent of this guy whatever right. you're going to have a bunch of different teams so every week is different but generally speaking you're gonna have a bunch of different players a bunch of different teams a player pool etc but like when we draft best ball teams like you said you get on the clock it there's not a tool that says here's my portfolio which maybe we'll build one here's my portfolio this should be my recommended pick based on what I think my portfolio should look like and what my portfolio looks like right now. Right. Mm Kind of like, what is my edge right now? This would be, what is the best pick right now? Well, you have less JT than Chubb. So fucking take JT in this, in this draft, because that was your intention was not to have more Chubb than JT, but it's hard when you get on the clock, right? Even, even we have our draft hacker overlays, right? Which again, um, as you mentioned, you know, they don't work on the phone, but if I'm sitting there drafting with them, I still sometimes, like you said, I got Lamar and Andrews and Tyreek and I got these crazy values in the, in between there. And then it comes to Rashad Bateman. And like, I think I, I don't have them up here anymore, but uh, you see my Rashad Bateman exposure is 38%. He's <laughs> my highest own wide receiver. He's one of, he's my, one of my highest owned players. I love him. I'm obsessed with Rashad Bateman, but that wasn't necessarily my plan. And my plan wasn't necessarily to take him and to pull up Zay flowers as I to take him four times more (laughs) than Zay flowers. Right. And so I'm not saying that's right, wrong or indifferent, but it wasn't necessarily my, plan. it's just happening because every time I get on the clock, I'm like, Bateman's the best pick. Bateman's the best pick. Bateman's Bateman's the best pick. It's gotta be Bateman. Yeah. And I just keep taking him. So, let me share uh, a, a tip that I think can help a little bit with this. Um, I have 7% flowers. And this is just best ball mania, which is going to be a little, little noisier oh, right that, now. My, I have 7% flowers and Bateman uh, in best ball mania, but Bateman, I know I'm 
pretty high on it. Yeah, 18% across all my tournaments in flowers. I'm at 5%. So I am, but only about three. So I, so here's here's how I get myself to draft flowers. Take them, to, <laughs> take them together. If there's situations yeah. where you can get both players stacked with Lamar, take them together. And the reason I say that is yeah, I, have I think there really is a psychological thing where once you've drafted a player like three times, you're willing to draft that player. If you've like never draft a player, you like don't even see their name. Like they're like you're like literally scanning like who's available, and you're like no one's here, <laughs> like mm-hmm. because I don't yeah. draft these players. But if there's a dude who you're at least taking, you know, sometimes then they start to become like a viable selection for you. And mm-hmm. so if I'm if if I'm sitting down, I'm saying you know I really ought to have more say flowers then just figuring out a way of okay you know what i'm gonna double up on bateman and flowers uh at the seven eight turn with lamar and you know i'm i don't have andrews on that team so it's actually like a legit way to build and you know you do like a couple of those and all of a sudden when zay flowers comes back around in the eighth round and you've got two uh you're like, oh, sweet. This is a perfect bring back, you know, and maybe Bateman was there. Maybe Bateman was there, but you're like, I no, but I want to get a little more Zay Flowers. I already made that decision. So now am I actually doing that or am I taking Bateman? I'm probably probably taking Bateman. It's going to be hard. To <laughs> I pass. know it's but I know but at the very least, maybe maybe you, maybe you identify <laughs> Bateman's gone, but I'm going to I'm going to come in and get that cheap Zay Flowers because mm-hmm. he he kind of like sometimes I'll see stuff. I'm doing these puppy slows and I'll see stuff where I'm like, oh, I should have taken this guy. You know, after I already pick, like, and it's because that player, it just doesn't register as quickly yeah. as when mm-hmm. I see the other name, the guys that I am drafting more frequently that I feel good about. It's just they like literally don't hit my brain as quickly as the players I like. I agree that that is, I, but I you said I think that that's like a, an everyone issue. Everyone can even say you can be a. Uh, a non-football watcher you can be uh brick brian hooper or whatever who like doesn't really care about football right doesn't even know some of the players or whatever but when you do this repetitively over and over and over and over again names register more to you maybe you talk to other people and they like x player or whatever it is just an inherent fact that information is going to seep into your brain how whether it's your personal right like these are generally my personal opinions on a handful of of players and we all have opinions on really most of the player pool but i i am okay i've gotten better at separating myself from the middle the what i you know i have the guys i love there's like really i would call it really four players right now that i love i got this filtered down for bateman and zay but it should be close enough so damian harris uh rashad bateman rashad penny and then Sam Howell, which I've made my my love known for way too much. But those four guys are the guys that I, when I default to a late round quarterback, I really like Howell the most. Rashad Bateman is this kind of huge tear drop off at wide receiver. And I also just really, really like him this year, given the Ravens and Lamar. And then these two kind of like zero RB-ish running backs are like the guys, my flag plants, if you will. Beyond them, there are guys I have more exposure to and less exposure to. But that's generally just like not planned. But then I also have guys that I'm like, I'm just, nope, not taking them. I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not taking Adam Thielen. I don't, I don't really want to take Miles Sanders. Uh, 
I don't want to take Najee Harris. Um, it, guys like that. I don't, uh, I, I don't know. We don't need to get into the specifics, but I have this plan and the guys in the middle, I can do okay with like, I don't really love Michael Pittman, but a, he's fallen now. And it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take him when it makes sense or I'll mix him in. I can get past that block. But when I get to Thielen, like there is no chance that I, that I, that I will take him. And so right. making, but making sure that I'm not taking guys that should be in the middle and turning them into guys that are Thielen is a, is something that I, I think is my biggest struggle because it happens without you knowing it. Right. It happens it like, Oh, I just keep taking whatever. I just keep taking Kyle Pitts. He keeps falling to the seventies. I'm just going to keep taking Kyle Pitts. And the next thing, you know, you have zero George Pickens and, and it's not that you love George Pickens, but you had no intention of getting zero George Pickens. Right. It just happened by happenstance. And so that to me is like the exposure exercise that is hardest. And maybe you don't care. Maybe you just say, I'm just going to vibe space draft and let my chips fall where they may. But for me, that's not how I want to approach it. And I don't think that's how you should approach it. I do want a vibe space draft, but I want to check in and see what I've, what my vibes have been totaling up to. Like what have your vibes been creating for you that maybe you're like, you know what? I'm just going to keep, keep it in the back of my mind, you know, keep in the back of my mind. Pickens is, is someone I need a little bit more of because I, because I haven't been taking them or whatever. Um, And yeah, I, I completely agree with that idea of if I'm going to fade someone, I'm comfortable like fading them really hard. You know, I faded Joe Mixon really hard last year. Yeah, Arguably, same. that was stupid because um, he certainly that showed that he had the single week upside. Fucking painful. <laughs> like, yeah, just, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, so I'm not all like my fades are gonna are gonna be good, right? But like, I generally am willing to take hard stances for and against players. But what you want to be able to do is is capture when your edge hits, right? This is um, uh, something Mike Leone and I have talked about uh, when we were doing Establish the Edge, like understanding kind of what your edge is mm-hmm. and then sort of pressing that edge. So if you really feel strongly that your edge is, you know, a fifth-round quarterback who's going to get benched once Ron Rivera gets fired, you at least want to be able to capture that edge if, you know, that 1% outcome plays out. You know, you don't want to be muddling that edge up by taking a bunch of other stands that you mm-hmm. don't really even believe in. Like that's right. Like if you have, um, let's say your biggest stand is a, uh, a second year running back who's coming off a horrific knee injury. Uh, who seems <laughs> about to sign Dalvin Cook, you know. If if that you know foolhardy stand actually succeeds, then you want to be able to make the most of it and have him paired with a variety of other solid play. Like if I have a ton of Brees Hall, and then it's like, oh, but I only had Brees Hall paired with you know like Calvin Ridley teams, or like I'm just yep. I'm even though I have a ton of Brees Hall, I'm somehow really underweight Brees Hall with three other wide receivers who I liked. And one of which was the guy you needed to have this year. Uh, that, yep. that would suck. And I, like, I don't want to like, I'm okay saying Robert Woods is the guy Cooper cup stinks. Right. And being wrong. 
that's gonna hurt. Luckily, I didn't do that. But that would, yeah. that's the type of thing might haunt you forever. But, but I'm you okay. would be, you're you're okay to be wrong when you when you believe a a, a stand like that. And I think yeah. that that's good. What I hate, right? What I never want to do, and it probably will happen. But I want to fight this as hard as I can. Is I didn't really have a strong take, but I ended up with 66% woods and 33% cup just by exactly. just by chance. Cup cup went a little a little ahead and you know so i just ended up with woods and i never really made the effort to even it out and so i just was really light the league winner because i kind of didn't think about it very much that's what i want to avoid and it it so it, it's two, it's two things to me one is the idea of so what when we talk about vibes right what what vibes really is is kind of putting your drafting skill to the test you're saying I'm good at this. I'm I'm a skillful drafter. So I'm right. I'm I'm sitting on my couch on the phone instead of in the lab, right, with all of my resources up around me because I don't need them because I'm good at I'm good at doing this in you know time, life, whatever. But I can get in there, crank out a really good team because I'm going to be able to adapt to this fast draft room or whatever. But you always do still need to make sure that what you just outlined is not happening. Solely because you're, if you're drafting the best team, and and I would almost guarantee you this for nearly everyone, unless they're using something that can help them even it out, which of course we offer at Spike Week, and 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 or if you want to do it yourself, whatever. I I pity the people that like log all their teams in a spreadsheet. By the way, Um, that sounds terrible, but you're going to almost assuredly run into that, and you probably can't cover every single one of the the, you know, those things that you want to mitigate that woods cup situation or the pits pickens like i was just like i was just mentioning but you ultimately you can flex your skill around like what you just said if you believe Brees hall or sam howell or whatever i can go in and see what you know like say using our draft iq tool i can go in and look okay i think these are my edges my three edges Brees hall elite tight end and whatever Let's make sure that around my edges, I'm not falling into a bunch of landmines to fuck up those edges, Yeah. right? Because I I have to admit, everyone has to admit, and I also think this is a huge flaw of fantasy football people in general, best ball drafters, whatever. You, ha- you may have edges. If you're good at this, if you're skillful, if you're smart, whatever, you have edges. You don't have an edge on everything. No right. one does. You don't. There's not a, there's not a person... You cannot possibly know all of these, right, from a player take perspective. You cannot possibly know enough about all of these. I don't care what kind of coder or modeler or analytics or how much time you spend. You can't possibly know enough about every single one of these players, everyone, the teams, their situation, the depth charts, the coaches. You can't. And then you can't probably possibly know enough about, right, the game theory elements and what your opponents are doing and how to structure teams and stacking and correlation. Like, you can't possibly know enough about everything. So flex your muscles on the edges that you do have. You don't have an edge on every player. Stop drafting like you have an edge on every player. Draft like you have an edge on the couple players that you believe. Pat has an edge on Brees Hall. I tend to agree with him. Yeah, Yeah. right. But that's your, your... we have to draw a line somewhere. You say, I think Brees Hall is an edge. So let's draft like Brees Hall is an edge. If Brees Hall is an edge, that doesn't mean that Robert Woods over Cooper Cup is an edge, right? You wouldn't do that. You would want him to be split down the middle because Brees is the edge, not right, the decision exactly. between those two. Exactly. Brees is the edge, not Chase Brown versus Travion Williams. 
right? Brees is the edge, not Sam Howell versus Jacoby Brissett. So right. operate as though Brees is the That's edge. For me, but... but we. <laughs> God damn it! I shouldn't have fucking buried myself with that one. Uh, <laughs> But that that's that's like but everyone screws that up. God knows I do, but that's why like we built some of these tools and we're having this conversation because it is so important. And I think those are probably the biggest landmines that people fall into because you sit right, it's fun to draft on the underdog app. It's fun to draft. Best ball's fun. You sit on your couch or you sit on the shitter or you sit on the front porch with a beer and you're just right, drafting away. And you draft then the next thing you know, you drafted 20 teams and every time you took Bateman over Zay Flowers. And you like Bateman better, but not one you like 20 times one. as much yeah yeah exactly yeah. probably probably not so anyway that's sometimes my- this is like a next level tool i don't know if you guys if you guys get into quantum computing maybe maybe uh you can go we got out, some but... smart people coming in so All maybe right. maybe I, i've sometimes wanted a tool that would help me uh essentially like simulate out the season based on my percentages of you know what i think is likely to happen in, in kind of key situations. Like let's say I like Bateman, like I like Bateman two and a half times as much as Zay flowers. Okay. Um, and I like JT twice as much as Chubb. Um, but this is a season now this tool does its work. This is a season where Chubb was the right Chubb's the right answer. Chubb's the right answer. The, the other thing maybe you could do with this is like, um, I think that there's, you know, uh, a 10% chance that, you know, the Packers are a really good offense this year. Mm. Right. And so it's just like, nope, this is in this year, the Packers suck. So don't take Packers. You know what I mean? Like, and at yep. least in any right. given Jordan, now, Jordan you, Love is, is Kyle Trask or whatever. Jordan Love is know? a horrendous pick in this, yeah. in this version of the world. Now you'd have to kind of balance that. The reason that this tool would be sort of difficult to even use much less build is that, Maybe Jordan, maybe Packers are just falling to you, and you know mm-hmm. you're you're like, well, I know that I think there's a ten percent chance, so I'm going to just scoop the Packers or whatever. But there's often times where you're like not sure where to go, you know, you're like, what? I kind of there's decision points here. These guys are about equal. It would just be in some ways to like, and maybe just kind of thinking through this as you try to balance your exposures. Like, I think there is some chance that this offense is going to be really good. So I want to have at least some exposure to mm-hmm. that offense and play things out as I'm, as I'm drafting, like occasionally, like, you know, I, I think that the Packers are going to, are going to crush this year. So I'm going to, I'm going to build a team that represents the pat what the Packers crushing looks like. And just, mm-hmm. just sprinkle in a few of those teams or it doesn't have to be the Packers, obviously, whoever. Um, and just like, make sure that, like sometimes drafting with the idea of like strong stances, but then having those stances jumble around over the course of all your drafts. Cause I think the issue that I have is like, I'll be like, you know, I'll have a strong stance, but then I'm drafting like all the time. Yeah. Like that stance every, is going to have like all the, every, time. every team is around one, one stance and, and to the, the to binary, the edge. And yes or no. It, you're making it binary and then it the downstream effects to your exposure and your portfolio by operating in that binary fashion around one or two offenses. Right. right? This, I don't this even a, believe it's truly binary. Right. This 100 percent is is happening to me right now. And I'm partially part of why I'm comfortable with this is 
is that I we have the rest of this offseason to adjust. If this were right. August, this might be a very different situation. But still, point stands that like I am operating around the fact that Washington is very undervalued. Um, and 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 so right, we're we're doing it in different ways, but the same thesis that Washington is very is very undervalued and they're gonna be good, right? But what happens when you operate entirely around that thesis is that you don't get as much Desmond Ritter mm. because your Washington projects better than Atlanta, right? And so but you love all of the Atlanta pieces. It's just I'm leading, I'm running into more Washington stacks or more Washington exposure than, and also it's a little easier to get Washington than it is to get Atlanta. But besides the point, way too much Tyler Algier. I, I have tried to correct this, but it's leading to just like all Kyle Pitts and Tyler Algier and not as much Bijan and Drake London and not much Ritter at all. Right. But like that when I play out my portfolio and if, if it were to continue like this and I get to week one, Thursday night football, you know, I have very, very, very few Atlanta stacks and a bunch of Washington stacks. And like, I want more Washington, but this, this current like binary way I'm operating is leading me to really, really heavy one way and nothing the other way, right? The Packers, Mm -hmm. I can see the upside case of the Packers, but I don't draft a lot of Packers stacks because I'm personally drafting Howell and Purdy. Those are the two guys I'm trying to utilize yeah, yeah, that yeah. go that go late. And it's like, well, Pickett's the same thing to me as them, generally speaking. So I'm just going to take those other guys. But like, I don't want to have zero Steelers stacks, right? And so all of this is very, very difficult to navigate. But as long as you, I, I think as long as you can acknowledge these things, that they exist, maybe you will or won't, right? <laughs> when you get on the clock, you just say, fuck it, I'm going to take this guy. But the only way to know what your correct path forward is by like, is like by figuring out where these gaps might, might exist and what you think kind of your portfolio should look like in your exposure. Yeah. What's your portfolio saying? Like, you know, is there absolutely no chance that this team is good, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just think like, check, like that to me, like the whole point of looking at these is just to like, what, is your portfolio saying versus what you think, because they're not going to just naturally add up unless you're just like a full on robot, right? Like you're not going to be able to do it. That would be impressive. So, if you could actually be like, be I, I want, that would be, that would be, insane. I wouldn't be impressed. I'd be like, dude, that's like, yeah, someone's it, just like, I don't have to outside. review my exposures. I just know yeah. them. Go outside. please. God, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I might like rethink my career. If I mess around <laughs> like that. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I strongly someone, prefer that you need to review there's your exposures. one person watching this that is like these motherfuckers <laughs> i know my ask me ask me my jacoby myers exposure just ask me i know it. You know, four some people have that thing yeah some people like uh i listen to to smart list and will arnett can just rattle off dates of things like he just is like oh that was february 2007 they're like that's mind-blowing to me yeah that's absolutely so, mind-blowing if you're just that type of person, you know, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to, I don't mean to come at you so hard, but, but listen, that's just so far into to what I would be able to do that. It mm-hmm. actually does seem, you know, crazy to me, but uh, yeah, I just think like checking in with what you actually want to do. Like in, there's two elements of it. Checking in is, does this portfolio match what I have been trying to do so far? And then does it match what I now think my edges are? Right. And, does it match what I, it, there's so much that goes into it and we will 
we will come back later this summer and dive some more back into this. Particularly, it'll be not more fun, but it'll be interesting to look back on. Like maybe once training camp has passed, right? We're in the preseason and we're in the final home stretch of best ball drafting. Now let's talk about what our exposures look like. How do they look different than what they look like uh, right now on June thirtieth? But at the end of the day, the exposure thing is is so difficult because it is everything that you just outlined in that, and that we've kind of talked about for an hour. What? What is your edge today, right? We talked about that earlier because it's going to be different later. It was different in May. It's different. It's constantly moving. And so you should, of course, attack that edge. But you also have this macro level idea of what you think your portfolio of teams should look like. It also may look different for each tournament. What you drafted into the poodle is going to be different than what you draft into best ball mania. And a it's borderline impossible for any one human to really <laughs> with a job and like a, a life and a family and stuff to, to manage this to the level of detail that you want. But it is important to like, keep all those things in mind. You're not going to be perfect, but like just to keep these things in mind, that's like, yeah, like I just showed you, I have four times as much Rashad Bateman and Zay flowers in best ball mania or whatever. It's unintentional. It wasn't intentional. Do I like Bateman more? Yes. But would I like to smooth those things out? Yes. Can I do that effectively for every situation in the draft? No, but I want to be cognizant of where my gaps could be and make sure that when I flip over the cards in week one, I'm not like, God damn it. I there's, I like this team or I liked the upside case for the Packers. I liked the upside case for the Falcons, but I have none. That was not my, I don't want to get to that point And we're doing a show in week one and being like, shit i hate my teams i I don't want to get there so i just want to keep tabs on it over the course of the summer yeah and i'm going to balance my overall portfolio to some extent but i'm also going to try to balance my best ball mania portfolio Mm -hmm. you know if i do some i don't know what they're going to offer in terms of other big tournaments but you know certainly if there's other like tournaments i really care about i'm going to try to balance the the and they're big enough to where like if it's a 12 max or whatever I, i don't think i i really care about that but you know there are certain segments that I'm going to try to balance, but for the most part, I'm not going to like die. I'm not going to like, Oh, and the puppy I'm overweight. Like who cares? You know, it's a, it's, I, I'm not, it's the, they're sort of like the, the premier tournaments that I want to make sure I I'm nice and even on. Yep. Um, and then my overall portfolio, let me, so this is, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's a bit of a trick question. How much Sam Howell do you think I have in best ball mania? Ooh. Okay. So it's a, it's a trick question. I know from talking to you or listening to you talk that it's not that you're completely out on him and he has a place on certain teams. So it's not zero, but it's certainly not going to be what, what did you say? Just like total best ball mania or does it matter? My percentage, my percentage exposure in best ball mania in best ball mania. 4%. 7%. Oh my God. You're at the field. I never want to fucking hear you talk about Jacoby Brissett and say, well, here's why it's again. your question. You're matching. I've drafted. Field. I've drafted him on those three teams, and it looks like one other what ten dollar team. I don't even know what is ten dollars. Is that the golden or something? So I've, uh, oh, yeah, I think so. So I've like I actually I'm two percent my my overall <laughs> portfolio, but it just so happens I'm seven percent investable. I mean, average ADP two oh seven. So uh, yeah, give him to me nice. for free, and I'll and yep. I'll take. That's nice. I also think uh, he is more fitting investable mania where. 
uh, so freaking top heavy and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. there's not a lot of true home runs. I do like Purdy a lot, uh, but like, there's not really like a Purdy major too. home run swing. And it's like, look, <laughs> even if I advance out of my, <laughs> my, uh, 12 team league, I just get my money back in best ball mania. So like, uh, let's just take the home run. If I lose this all, it's fine. I can, I can take a more cautious approach in the poodle two or you know the puppy right, 12 right, right. or whatever that's gonna that's gonna happen um although they did release this weekly winners which is certainly not helping me take a more cautious approach because if you want to talk about swinging for the fences <laughs> this this tournament is literally in hell two, this yeah this tournament is i mean I'm, i'd be overweight howl there for sure 100 i just drafted two solo howl teams last last, last night one eight one one like one seven nine one or something like that um uh, yeah, solo howl with all just the absolute loaded everywhere else uh, and tons and tons of running. But I, this format is fun. We don't need to get into weekly winners today. Maybe we'll cover it in the future. I did post an article on the website of some early weekly winners thoughts, but I do have to to uh, uh, jolt. And uh, uh, I think we'll be taking next week off as Pat is uh, is out of town. Plus, you know, the first half of the week is all all holidays and stuff like that. But we'll be back shortly. But Pat, what do you got uh going on here for the people for the next little bit yeah legendary upside i've had a couple articles out this week on running back um success rate looking at nfl next gen's metrics there and uh dove into the guys basically every running back who had over 200 carries last year um so we have a big sample uh, uh within that metric to look at and uh just kind of talked through their outlook you know, through the lens of that metric but also just kind of digging into you know their receiving profile as well which that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with and just kind of where I kind of stand on most of these these running backs. So you can check those out. Uh, if you are just want to sign up for free, a big portion of both articles are free. So I would recommend just going up, signing up. Um, I do that like with with basically every article, and then I also have some free articles. I have one on a called "Dictating the Turns" uh, on a tactic I'm using in best ball right now, uh, which is completely free. So would recommend signing up, even if you don't want to. Uh, do the premium membership right now. But if you do, uh, you can do that at legendaryupside.com slash early, get $30 off your first year. So for $69, uh, you get your first year and that gives you access to the 40% off spike week. I also do still have some underdog credits. Uh, you can get a $50 underdog credit by filling out a form on the site. It's at the top of the site under perks slash discord. Go there, go fill out the underdog form. Gives me your username. I'll send that over to underdog and get a $50 credit. So I've said this before, but it is, I think, true. It is financially irresponsible not to <laughs> not to sign up for a legendary upside if you're if you're going to be uh, reviewing your exposures and playing on underdog. I totally agree. And um, if you are reviewing your exposures or trying to do some of the things we talked about here that are very hard to do in drafts, our draft hacker overlays are kind of developed to help mitigate some of this stuff you can see your exposures in real time. You can see your player, you know, combinatorial exposures. Right? If you took Lamar. When you get to the seventh round, how much of the the players do you have centered around Lamar, right? Okay, you would be able to very quickly see some of those combinations. Oh, I only have, you know, I only have one team with uh, JT and Calvin Ridley. Maybe I'll take him over Debo here, right? There's just so many different things that you can do with it. It's all customizable. And we now support this weekly winner's tournament, which is really kind of fun. Uh, it's also like uh, uh, fun to see the uh the the different ways that you can view some of the correlations and my mind just starts going on all these different things you can see with the weekly winners update for the draft hacker correlation in any single week 
and you can choose it, right? So your team sets out and you happen to draft two players that play in week six. You can start to, you can, you can choose up to three different weeks and it will highlight your correlations hmm. for you in that. So you can see this team's maybe being built more for week six. Let's show some week six correlations with the players that I've already drafted. And you can tack on multiple other weeks. And instead of showing like a playoff view, so we have a playoff view within the draft hacker, you can see, right? So if I draft, Justin Jefferson and I come back and take Aaron Jones within the playoff view. It'll show me, okay, you have those two guys from the Green Bay and Minnesota game in week 17. We showed the number of game stacks that you have now by every single week of the season. So it's going to show you from week one wow. to week 17. As you draft, right, that number, it's like a ticker, that number will go up. Oh, week three, now I got a game stack in week three now. Oh, week seven, got a game stack in week seven. And so as you draft, you can start to prioritize different weeks, right, to say, to try to maximize your upside in any individual week. So really, really fun update for anybody checking out weekly winners. I have not been able to stop drafting the weekly winners because it's just so new, such a fun, different, so different, man, from any other fantasy football format we've ever played before. Um, and I love the strategy around it, uh, wrote about it yesterday. We'll definitely be doing tons of content on it as well. But got to get out of here. Got to jump to uh, another quick call. Everybody have a wonderful holiday weekend. Stay safe and all that fun stuff. And we'll be back soon with another episode of Legendary Sickos. Peace. Peace.